This is Mayo Clinic Talks, a curated weekly podcast for physicians and healthcare providers. I'm your host, Daryl Chutka, a general internist at Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota. Erectile function is a complex process and requires input from our cognitive, hormonal, neurologic, and vascular systems. The social consequences of ED are obvious, but it also may be the first clue of advanced peripheral vascular disease. Although erectile dysfunction is more common in older men, it's not unusual for those to experience it even if they're under 40. Fortunately, there's proven effective treatment available, but there are also a variety of products being promoted which really haven't been proven to be effective. Because many men are reluctant to discuss ED with their healthcare provider, these readily available products are commonly used. With us today to discuss erectile dysfunction and its management is Dr. Toby Kohler, a urologist at the Mayo Clinic. Toby, thanks for being with us today. Thanks for having me. Well, I was surprised to hear how long and how old treatments for erectile dysfunction go back. Spend a little time talking about that. This is not a recent uh, issue. For as long as we have uh, recorded history of medical treatment, we have reference to trying to improve erections. There's documentation of incantations that were performed to try to make men younger. There's documentation of applying various crazy things to the penis to improve erections like jackal bile, or there's even more absurd things. The Middle Ages, men would consume love bread to try to improve their erections. And so the next question, of course, is, well, how do you make love bread? And that, that is my next question. Yeah, yeah what, it's, it's a highly scientific process mm -hmm. in which you have a, a group of maidens frolic in a field of wheat, and then uh -huh. you, you obtain that wheat and you mill it in a specifically counterclockwise direction, and you bake bread out of that milled wheat, and then you eat that bread, and that's supposed to help. I think everybody <laughs> knows if they'd gone clockwise, <laughs> that does work. Clear, yeah, that's an obvious, obvious mistake, a rookie yeah. error, as we yeah. say. Wow. And, you know, as crazy as that sounds, even in our century, absurd things are still being done. I mean, you know, if you check your emails these days or the back of the newspaper, you, you see, you know, outrageous claims of what, you know, pills can do potentially what they say they can do, but they actually can't. But even in the 1930s, there was a gentleman who actually harvested goat testicles. You'd actually mm -hmm. go to a goat, his goat farm. You'd pick out a goat that you had a bond with of sorts, and then they would castrate that goat and then insert the testicles into that guy's scrotum in the hopes to improve erections and fertility. And oddly enough, guy like became a millionaire in the 1930s. It's just insane that the lengths that people will go and what they will, how they will dispel common sense to try to cure something that they are embarrassed about and maybe don't want to you know, seek traditional uh, treatment approaches. Well, I'm sure the goats weren't too fond of him eventually, but uh, <laughs> well, all right, we'll come back to some of the weird treatments for this, but let's talk about erectile dysfunction. What What's actually the most common cause of this? What's behind all of this? The whole system for erections is uh, it's one of plumbing, vascular plumbing. So you have to have a good blood supply going to the penis. So the number one cause of problems with erections is problems of getting an adequate amount of blood into the penis and keeping it there. 
The number one cause of that would be direct insult to the arteries and veins that enable the process. So if, for example, you have heart disease, that by definition means that there's a little bit of restriction of flow to the heart tissue, right? And so, but the penis also suffers the same problem. The blood vessels feeding the penis are very small, two millimeter. And so typically men will have, when they get problems with restriction of blood flow throughout their body, it isn't just in one spot, it's everywhere. But because the penis has smaller blood vessels, it ends up being the thing that gets, it shows its uh, problems first. So often problems with erections will predate problems with the heart. Toby, I'm a geriatrician and my patients are generally older men. Uh, yeah. Many of them have heard that as you get older, you lose some of your testosterone. So is testosterone deficiency a common cause of erectile dysfunction? And is testosterone treatment, does that improve it? Uh, is this for the podcast or is this for uh, your edification? <laughs> I'm, I'm asking for a friend. Okay. <laughs> so testosterone is overly hyped as being helpful to the penis. The number one cause of problems with erections is a blood flow issue. Testosterone does not directly affect blood flow. So the majority of men who take testosterone for erectile dysfunction or to, in hopes that it will get better will be gravely disappointed. Remember that bodybuilders who are young and healthy and obviously strong, they take massive doses of testosterone to help with muscular development. Well, they have a lot of erectile dysfunction because of some of the other side effects of the medications and their testosterone is very high. So that is just an example of why testosterone is not that important for erections. Is it important? Yes. But for the average man above age 50, it is sixth on the list. There's many other things that are going to control your function uh, better than that. And you will be disappointed if you try to take it and fix a problem, especially if you don't have a really low level. Okay. For the men who do come in and mention the problem of erectile dysfunction, for a primary care provider, how much evaluation should we do? Should we do anything or just try one of the medications we know are out there? I think you are absolutely obligated to investigate the underlying cause. I think, especially the younger man who comes in, anybody less than age, I'd say 50, that has been present for you know, greater than three months and persistent, you have to think, suspect that they have a cardiovascular issue. That is what you have to rule out initially. And that is essential. So I, I say it's borderline malpractice to just give PD-5 inhibitors, Viagra, Levitra, without investigating what, what the cause is. Because in young men especially, we know that erections are the most powerful predictor of impending heart disease that we have. One study shows an increased risk of, relative risk of cardiac events by 50-fold. Contrast that with as somebody who's active smoking, who has a dad who had a history of a heart attack, their increased relative risk is somewhere around sixfold. So clearly the most powerful for so young guys, you have to rule out vascular disease. And indeed, you know, the, the standard workup that we employ is checking lipids and uh, uh, fasting hemoglobin O1C uh, as just a, a baseline. And then if there's any concern, we send them to preventative cardiology to get further assessment. Okay. Let's talk a little bit about the effective treatments for ED. Let's start with lifestyle because there's significant things that patients can do regarding their lifestyle to improve this. Yeah. So uh, like many other things in life, the, some of the most powerful traits that 
don't involve pills or surgery, but behavior. So we know that if you slim your waistline, if you eat more fruits and vegetables, if you exercise, it's extremely powerful. And recent meta-analyses, review studies have shown that people who exercise 150 minutes a week, you know, that's the recommended exercise amount, have as good an effect on their erectile function as active full-dose Viagra or Cialis or Levitra would have. So it's extremely powerful if you can uh, get up off the couch and you know, exercise your heart. And I tell all my patients that anything that is good for the heart is good for the penis and vice versa. So heart healthy equals penis healthy. So yeah, if you can get out there and be more active, you will notice improvement. Also quitting smoking, very quick improvement in function is documented in many, many studies. Okay. How about the, you mentioned the PD-5 inhibitors. How effective are they? How many men get benefit from them? You know, they're obviously widely advertised and now they've fortunately become very inexpensive. You can get generic versions of Tadalafil, which is Cialis, and Sildenafil, which is Viagra, for on the order of, you know, less than a dollar a pill with the right prescriptions and the right coupons, right? But of those men who take those measures, two-thirds will have a response. One-third, they will never work. Why is that? Well, it's because the, the problems with erections are so severe, the blood flow to the penis is so bad. To start with, the effect that the, these drugs have to increase the blood flow to the area is not good enough to be effective. So two-thirds will respond. And then of those responders, on average, they will work for about five years, and then they'll stop working because you know the body is getting sicker, or the blood vessels are getting older. It's not because you become immune to the pills per se, but it's because the disease that's causing the underlying problem is progressing. And so then you have to progress to more invasive treatments. Yeah. And that was my next question, because I've had many men who ask if these medications just quit working after a while, because uh, they often do. Exactly. But the, it's not because the medication is becoming less effective uh, or because you know, the body's immune to it, but it's just that you know, the, the problem has worsened over time, which is a natural consequence of aging, especially if you don't take good care of yourself. There was a study that I did in my master's year where we looked at how sexually active people were in different countries. And Brazil was the clear winner in sexual activity with something like 15, 80-year-olds having sex more than 10 times a month. If you take good care of yourself and you keep exercising, you stay lean, you're healthy, your sexual function will probably remain intact. But if you let yourself go and you kind of get you know, the diseases of aging when you don't stay fit and you don't stay healthy, then typically you will get problems with erections as you get older. Question I commonly get from my patients is, I've had a heart attack. Can I take these medications? Is it safe? Yeah, it depends. So the true contraindication for these pills is if you are currently taking nitroglycerin, like a long-acting version, which some people are, or you need on-demand nitroglycerin, then you should not take the pills together because it can cause an unsafe drop in blood pressure. Interestingly, these pills were originally designed to treat angina, the chest pain, uh, in England. This is, for, this is Sildenafil's origin story. And so it was a lousy angina drug. And so they asked the patients to send the samples back, but lo and behold, they didn't, which is very odd. Like, why would patients hold on to these test medications? <laughs> Well, the patients discovered on their own that, yeah, it was helping their penis. And so that's how Sildenafil was born. Similarly, Cialis was originally designed as a heart patient as well. 
that's the origin. And that's why you're not supposed to take it with nitroglycerin because it has this kind of combo effect, which can cause a decrease in blood pressure that can be unsafe. Now, one aside, which I would add to that is, what about guys who aren't taking nitroglycerin who have had a history of a heart attack? Are, are you at risk of dying uh, while having sex? The risk for that is very low, actually. And so there are elegant studies done about 20 years ago where they have men wear Holter monitors while having sex. And the average uh, energy expended during intercourse is actually quite low. And so it's actually quite rare to die during intercourse. And so I would not be concerned. Like men who have had a heart attack that are in rehab programs, it probably is safe to have intercourse, much more likely to have an event, you know, going up a flight of stairs rigorously or shoveling your driveway. All right. I've had a few patients using vacuum devices. How effective are they? Yeah, so in guys that have no efficacy with pills, I'd say about half of the men to about 60% of the men will have success with a vacuum device. Vacuum device works by pulling blood into the penis. Then you wear a ring at the base of the penis to help trap that blood. If you were to not use the ring, then the erection would just go away right away. Mm -hmm. So it does work in some, and it formerly was covered by insurance but it's no longer covered. So you're looking at about a cost of about $370 or so for a good vacuum erection device. And if you are going to invest in one, which there are many reasons to, besides just for sexual function, also for penile rehabilitation, which is a, a talk for a different day, uh, you want to get a real one and pay real money. If you buy the ones from the back of magazines or at the average adult store, they will cost somewhere in the order of you know, less than $100 and they won't work. So if you're going to invest in it, you may, may as well get one that is you know, medical grade. Okay. And then finally, how about the penile injections? I've had a few patients uh, that are using that. Yeah. So penile injections are highly effective. Cost is very reasonable, somewhere in the order of 5 to $10 per erection. This is in contrast to what these shot clinics will, will charge. So there's, these are, again, advertised in the back of newspapers. They guarantee erections. Uh, these are clinics that typically don't have sexual medicine experts running them. And they offer a proprietary blend of medications to help with erection. These are penile injections, essentially. And the same injections that I write for for my patients that should cost a total of $100 for a vial, which has 10 doses in it, they charge around $2,000 for a similar regimen, right? So again, you're much better off going to somebody who specializes in treatment of this condition. And it can be highly effective, but also has risks with it. So whenever you start to use it, you want to be trained well and make sure that you're doing it safely. Okay. Well, let's talk now about some of the unproven treatments. In order to learn more about this, I, I bit the bullet and did a search for unproven benefits of erectile dysfunction. And I have a feeling my inbox is going to be swamped with offers of different things, <laughs> but I'll do whatever I need to for education. So yeah, that's very about, noble of you. Yeah. Well, <laughs> what about shockwave therapy? That came up quite often. Yeah, so this is one that is not proven yet. It is not ready for prime time at all. It is extremely confusing. Uh, there's so much out there on the internet, it's absurd. But there's a couple of things you need to know. First of all, the concept of shockwave therapy is that the shock to the area will increase blood vessel growth and lead to better blood flow. That is the theory. Now, in order to have that actually happen, you have to use a device that can make that happen. In the United States, currently, there is only one and exactly one shockwave device 
has the ability to actually affect the penis. The vast majority of the devices being used in the United States today don't even have the sound wave go into the penis. It's just basically like touching your, your penis with, I don't know, a ball peen hammer 200 times. It's not delivering anything internally. And so it is completely useless and you're wasting your money because it can't be effective. Why is this? The FDA has declared that shockwave devices in order to be used on the penis, they have to be FDA approved. And this is a class two medical device. The majority of the ones used in the United States are class one medical devices and they don't do anything. But those are the ones that are being offered. Now, what do these companies do that are trying to promote the shockwave? They use the data from the class two devices and then in the fine print, or maybe not at all, they don't tell you that the device that they are using or advocating for in their regimen can't even help you. So that's item number one. Item number two, even if you do have the correct shockwave device, which is not really readily available in the United States, the data is pretty weak. So maybe it helps, but it's gonna help in guys in which the pills would help too. And so definitely do not go and spend $2,000 to get one of these shockwave treatment uh, programs. The vast majority of providers these days that's administering them are chiropractors mm -hmm. and they're not trained in sexual medicine, obviously. Right. There are numerous little uh, strip mall uh, regenerative medicine clinics using platelet-rich plasma therapy, stem cell therapy, anything to those two treatments? Not that we know of. Again, these companies that are advertising these things, they are basically giving a sentence, some kind of principle of how this is supposed to work. Stem cell therapy is supposed to regenerate penile tissue, right? It sounds great. It sounds fancy, but there is zero evidence that it does that. I mean, I always like to tell my patients that basically what you're doing is you're taking stem cells or cells that, that aren't differentiated. They, they can go in any direction. And then if they get to the right environment, they sometimes turn into the cell you want them to. Doing that is actually incredibly difficult to, to create the environment in the body to get the stem cells to turn into the right type of cell. So it'd be like akin to you taking a tropical plant out of the Amazon that requires a lot of water and then planting it in, in the Mugabe desert where there's like no rain. These treatments assume that the person that's going to use them is not going to question the science. They assume that they are going to hope that a magic bullet is going to solve their problems. Of course, the irony here is that there are actual real bullets that will solve their problems if they go to a real physician that treats this all the time. The number one watched show from Animal Planet was an episode about how mermaids were real. <laughs> and again, after the show aired, they announced that yes, this was fake, but that is still the most downloaded and watched show from Animal Planet history is about mermaids. And so people desperately want to believe that there is a, an easy way to get medical problems, whether it be with erections or whatever condition it is. Uh, unfortunately, if it sounds too good to be true, most of the time it is. Yeah. Well, you know, I think men are using these things because they can purchase them without a prescription and they're reluctant to talk to us about it. Uh, is that because they're just embarrassed to discuss the problem or are there other reasons? So the reason why men are reluctant to see a physician about erectile dysfunction are, are numerous. There's a lot of embarrassment and a lot of men will not bring it up unless their physician brings it up first. 
I would say to the physicians out there, it's our duty to ask our patients about their sexual health because number one, sexual health is a normal part of overall health. Number two, it can help find underlying medical problems like heart disease, diabetes, depression, et cetera. And it's better patient care if you ask about these issues. From a patient perspective, it's very important that you take the bull by the horns and come in with a game plan and say, doc, I've got a problem with sex. You have to go in there and maximize your own medical care by having a game plan and asking the questions that you need to get answered. Getting back to the initial question, why patients don't seek treatment, a lot of times it's cost, sometimes convenience. And you're right. If you can order something in your pajamas at 2 a.m. in the morning, that may work. Maybe that's more appealing than uh, having to go to a brick and mortar building and meet with a physician and sitting in a waiting room. But I would also put in a plug for our new Mayo Men's Health website where men are able to go online. They can log into our website, which is menshealth.mayoclinic.org. They can click on erectile dysfunction service line, and they can take a little quiz on their own. They can evaluate their erections. They can watch free videos on treatments. And in their pajamas, they can actually start the process for getting an appointment with all our physicians. We have three MDs and three advanced practice providers who all treat erectile dysfunction. You can start that process at home and set up your appointment. And yeah, we can do a Zoom call. And there's no reason why I can't write a prescription for you for whatever medication that you were going to order online. But in the meantime, we can make sure that it's safe to do so. And we can answer all the other questions and even streamline the process of taking the next step together if that's something that they want to do. You know, COVID was a horrible thing and still is, but one thing that it's taught us is that we can deliver medicine effectively without having to see patients in person. And that's the appeal of many of these products, right? The anonymity and the convenience. Well, it is a major quality of life issue and it is our responsibility to ask about it because you're right, patients often are reluctant to, uh, to mention it. I think it's a little bit better now with all of the commercials on TV. They, they've kind of become uh, more accustomed to it, but uh, it's still an issue. Absolutely. Well, we've been discussing erectile dysfunction with Dr. Toby Kohler, a urologist at the Mayo Clinic. Toby, this has been fun. Thanks for sharing this information with us. Thanks for having me today. You can now listen to over 100 different medical topics developed for primary care providers on Mayo Clinic Talks podcasts. Find them at ce.mayo.edu or your favorite podcasting app. If you've enjoyed Mayo Clinic Talks podcasts, please subscribe, stay healthy, and see you next week. Music